I'm so excited to welcome you to Season 3 of Career Resilience. My name is Jan Daniluk. I'm a Senior Human Resources Consultant at Ford Keys, a progressive accounting firm in London, Ontario, Canada. Each week, I get to talk with people about their career path and their career journey, and maybe we can all learn from each other how to be a little bit more resilient in the challenging world of work. Please check out my website, career-resilience.com, where you'll find Season 1 and Season 2, and now Season 3. Welcome. Love what you do and do what you love. The best career advice I've received, follow the fun. Those opportunities will just organically present themselves. You know, establish those connections and maintain those connections. Acceptance just means accepting what is. I don't think we should just put ourselves in a box. At the end of the day, it was always me that I said, I'm not doing good enough right now. I want it to always be, you know, movie night on Friday night. My guest today is Sam Blackham. Sam, welcome to Career Resilience. Thank you. Nice to be here. It's great to have you here. And we're going to talk about your career. And I just want to read off what I think you do. And maybe you can tell me if that is what you do. So you are a chartered surveyor. And we're going to get into what a chartered surveyor does. Um, And you tend to do project management on um, building projects is is my understanding of your role. So (laughs) we're going to get a little bit deeper into that because I want to understand it, especially as you're located and you work in London, England, correct? Correct. Yeah, that's correct. And just for clarity, I work in London, Ontario, Canada, which is why I don't have an accent, but you do have an accent. <laughs> yeah, depending on which side of the, the pond you're on. <laughs> so um, are you from London, Sam? Uh, I'm not. I'm from Birmingham, which is about two hours north of, of London. But yeah, from the UK. Okay. And Birmingham, that is famous for its house. <laughs> for its what? It's... Well, what do you think it's famous for? Um, <laughs> um, not many things, to be honest. Um, Cadbury chocolate, maybe, is, is the one one thing I know you're familiar with. Yes, I am. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, Cadbury chocolate. And then uh, Jaguar Land Rover is the other thing that's Ooh. from Birmingham and, and made there. But, yeah, it's... It's not quite as famous as London. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Birmingham, I have heard, has as many canals as Venice. <laughs> yeah, they, they'll cling on to that. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, it, it does have a lot of canals. So, it's uh, it was a big um, industrial city in the Industrial Revolution. And uh, there's lots of factories. So, they built lots of canals. Um, but it is um, slap bag in the middle of the UK. So, there's no coast. So um, they built lots of canals to get things in and out. Oh, okay, um, that's why. Um, yeah. And to your point, you did mention Cadbury World, and um, <coughs> I, I do love Cadbury World because <laughs> they, they give you a fair amount of free chocolate when you wander around and see it. It's fantastic. Yeah, I hire <laughs> anybody to go to Cadbury World. So um, can you tell me to start off, just so we get a sense of you, um what is an interesting or random fact about you um uh, whether it's interesting or not but um so i've lived in 
I, I put this as my opener for my um, intro at work as an interesting fact, but I've lived in Thailand, France, Italy, um, and also Birmingham, which I think was probably the, the highlight for everyone. So um, that was my interesting fact that I've lived in those four places. Did you live in those places for a period of time? Uh, yeah, so a um, couple of months uh, in each of the foreign countries and then um, 18 years in Birmingham, so a bit longer in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. And of the places you've lived, exclusive of Birmingham, but inclusive of <laughs> what what has been your favourite place? Um, I think probably... London does just get it. I do. I do love London. Um, I think London is one of the best cities in the world. I think it's it's an amazing place, and um, you always. I think anyone that's lived there, if you if you love it, you get drawn back to the buzz of it. Um, but I do think um, living. I lived in the French Alps um, for a summer, and uh, worked out there, and that was um, that was amazing because I think it's just got so much going for it in terms of scenery and things you can do outdoors and um it's, it's a beautiful place so that's probably a close second if you could combine the two you'd have the perfect place <laughs> <laughs> so so because we talk about careers on this podcast um tell me uh, you're a chartered surveyor so what does that mean that you do for a living yeah, no, no one knows, which is always a bit, it'd be fun to just be like a doctor or a lawyer where people just know what you do. But yeah. um, So basically, it's, it's a really broad um, career. So there's anything to do with property and land can be a chartered surveyor. But me particularly, I do property development, essentially. So I'm um, a chartered project manager. So I basically make projects happen. So if you see big, big developments in big cities, there'll be a charter project manager that oversees it um and that is from literally a point go to handing over the keys at the end so um you would get involved in appointing the teams appointing architects picking designs managing the costs making sure the numbers add up um making sure the developer is going to make profit um managing the building work on site uh, managing planning permission, all of those things you'll get involved in and, and oversee. So it's it's quite a varied, varied role and you have to be a bit of a uh, jack of all trades, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds like it. So, so Sam, do you not have to bring a lot of people together? <clears throat> yeah, so that, that's a big part of, I think, similar to your role in HR and those sort of roles, you, you have to be a bit of a people person, I guess. Um, you have to be able to, what I really like about it is you have to take, because construction sites are always chaos, no matter how well they're run, you're dealing with all these different little firms and businesses and people, and you have to sort of take that chaos, manage it, and then present that to the client in a way that they'll understand and they'll appreciate and they'll understand the risks, they'll understand risk their budget, risk their timeline, um, risks to their end user, and you have to be able to, go onto a building site and have a heated conversation with a builder and then also go into a boardroom and say, well, you're spending hundred million pounds on this building and it may cost you an extra 50 million pounds because of these reasons, you know? Yes. So you have to be able to do sort of step into both, um, both worlds that are very different. Um, so I think that that's really interesting. 
Um, what is the most uh, stressful <clears throat> aspect of your role? Um, I think dealing with the, the construction industry. So there's, there's big uh, construction companies, uh, which are called main contractors, which um, basically you're Mr. Client, Mrs. Client, you're a property developer, you appoint them and they take on all the risk. Um, and typically on these these big contracts and get a, you know, a percentage profit for that. Um, but what a lot of people don't realise is they don't do any of the work themselves. They will just farm it out to a series of smaller companies. Oh. So you could have tier, tier one, tier two, tier three, who are all companies that sit below them. And you, know, you get to the base of that and it's quite often little family run businesses who will do bricklaying or you mm -hmm. know steel or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and I think there is a, a real challenge in managing those people because, you know, they often uh, aren't as um, invested in the project. You know, they get a flat fee for what they do. So you have to manage, you know, them in, and they're sort of often, you know, challenging business. Um, so, for example, I've had projects in the last year where they've gone bankrupt because of the pandemic and then, that has a knock-on effect on the whole project. So yes. I think managing that supply chain is, is really difficult. Yeah, um, And it's something people aren't, unless you work in the industry, just aren't aware of. Yeah. Um, just to back up for a second, um, what may, what attracted you to going in this career direction? Uh, <laughs> I think I ask myself that sometimes. <laughs> um, so I, I did a, a sort of random degree at uni and... Um, my intention was always to do law school after university. So I, um, in halfway through my degree, got, got a place and that was kind of my, my plan. Um, and then I ended up going to a careers day randomly um, at the university. And there was a lady there that worked for my company, I did my grad scheme with in the end. And um, I've always sort of been interested in property and buildings. And I think it, you know, it's, it's yeah. something that I've always watched grand designs and things like that. Yes. Um, so got chatting with her and she was really passionate about it and it's a big you know massive company so um it was quite appealing in that sense and, and she offered me some work experience so I did uh two weeks work experience um in my second year of uni um in their office in London and really enjoyed it so it was a company called Arcadis which is like a big multinational uh, engineering company um, I think there's like 28,000 people in it. It's a re really big um, listed company. Um, <clears throat> and I really enjoyed it. They had a free bar in the office, which was part of the sales pitch, to be honest. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and uh, I then applied for the grad scheme um, and did all the assessment days and all that sort of thing. Um, and my third year, I think halfway through my third year, they offered me a, um, a grad scheme and... Um, like a sponsorship for my master's so I could do a course in that area. So it was a bit too good to turn down, to be honest. Yes. Um, I yeah. think having enjoyed it and, you know, the thought of getting lots of debt for, for law school without a job guaranteed at the end of it was a bit off-putting. And um, So, yeah, and haven't, haven't looked back, really. I don't know that we actually have grad schemes in Canada. Can you just give me a thumbnail sketch of what a grad scheme is? Um, so it's a, it's a scheme uh, that big, bigger companies normally do for graduates. Um, so it normally involves taking people that have no work experience um, from the university 
um, and there's often some training involved. So they tend to be for law firms, uh, child surveyors, um, accountants, actuaries, things like that, where you go in and perhaps have a um, a period of time where you're um, under sort of some sort of training program, and then. Okay. Um, so it, it's yeah, but it's designed specifically for people coming out of university. So they um, a lot of the universities in the UK have sort of career days um, yes. where you'll have you know the companies yeah. doing the sales pitch basically. Yeah. Okay. So um, what we have here is um, co-op. So that would be called cooperative education here. So it sounds okay. like that's a similar similar thing. Can you tell me about a project that you worked on that you're specifically really proud of? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's been lots. I mean, I think my projects that I've done with um, Grosvenor have been really cool. So I, I've spent a year um, squandered into a client, um, which is the um, Duke of Westminster's um, property business. And they have a lot of sort of landmark properties in London. Um so I've done um, three or four projects with them now, which which is really cool. And a lot of them are listed buildings, conservation areas, um, and they're all little projects that um, are sort of landmarks in that area. So mm. um, one I'm just just finishing at the moment is um, three buildings that built in the 1800s, um, and they were literally built out of almost rubble. <laughs> Um, so they're really complicated buildings. Two were built together. One was originally built by a pharmacist, um, and they're all in sort of prime Mayfair locations. Um, and they've had sort of grand facades put on them. And um, and we did a whole cut and carve project where we basically just kept the facade. Everything inside was um, pulled down. We did a basement dig out. Um, and then it's going to be a, a restaurant and a pub on the ground floor. And then there's like a co-work, sort of WeWork type office wow. above. Um, and, it, you know, it, it's not the biggest project I've done by, by far, but it's probably been the most complicated because um, we procured the project. So we, we signed the contract with a contractor just before the pandemic. Um, so we then had to navigate all the lockdowns. Um, we had a... Uh, several site managers leave and quit so they they all work for the the subcontractor so we've had real high churn of staff we've had a subcontractor go bust we've had um lots of delays associated with covid um the the contractor because of the way the contracts are let so they it's a fixed price contract so Ooh. just before the pandemic they said we will do it for x number of million and they've had to stick to that. And obviously we've had crazy inflation in, in everything, but particularly in, in the construction market. So yeah. the contractor is, is losing a lot of money and we've had to navigate that with them. So it's been a really, really challenging project, um, mm. but um, we're coming at the end of it and we will be completing uh, end of, middle of November. So mm. it's kind of been a, a big milestone for um the people involved um but yeah i think that would be a really cool project to, mm -hmm. to go over the line and it's it's just opposite selfridges so it's in that you, you'll have probably been there jam yes. <laughs> you'll have probably walked past it yeah yeah um how do people react when you say you work for the duke of westminster um 
I think people either don't know who he is <laughs> or I think he's, I think because of, the, you know, there was quite a lot of press when he got the title because he was really young. His dad died quite young um, and he, you know, overnight became one of the wealthiest people in the world. Um, so I think there's a lot of people that understandably think that, um, that that's wrong and, and, you know, there should be, um, that, that perhaps would rather that land was split up and it wasn't all in his hands. But I think, you know, on the other hand, anyone that's come across Grosvenor and knows that, you know, they have a lot of charities, they have a, they do a lot of good in the community. Um, and, anyone that understands or, or perhaps works in the property industry, if you're an architect or someone like that, knows that they have a big role in, in conservation as well in that area. So, you know, you walk around West London and a lot of that area has been maintained that way because of, of the Grosvenor um, estate and their trust. So a bit of a mixed, a mixed yeah. bag, I guess, yeah. um, which is probably true of most people in, in the public eye, I suppose. Yes, I would say. Um, one of the things that you mentioned is that you can't dig a hole in London without coming across a German bomb or a Roman. <laughs> bomb. <laughs> um, yeah. Is, I mean, really, when you think of it, when you think of London, it, it's um, trying to maintain the London that people imagine and the his historic and so on. I mean, that is a very big um, responsibility to carry we have a a, a listing process with like a planning yeah. um process in the uk which uh, has different ratings depending on how special a building is basically mm. but a lot of the the grosvenor buildings are grade two star listed which is like you know about as uh, it, you're almost dealing with a you know, a national monument rather than a building and that's what makes london london right um uh, what yeah what is the definition of a sustainable skyline? What does that mean? There's a massive push in in property and construction to become more sustainable because you know, it's a ridiculous amount of carbon that's generated by mm. building, using, and then demolishing buildings. Um, <clears throat> and to be to be honest, there's a big there's a lot of greenwashing going on. I don't know if that's a term used in Canada, but there's a lot of you know businesses and developers claiming to be very sustainable and green when in reality that's probably not the case um you know lots of plants being put on the outside of buildings but they're made from concrete and steel so it's <laughs> you know <laughs> but i think i think it's a it's a massive area and actually so the rics who are the the body that um uh, regulate chartered fairs and they to become a chartered fair you have to pass their exams uh, they have a big push to make chartered fairs be like at the forefront of that and you can do all these different courses to um, become a specialist in it um, and there's all these different accreditations for um, things like Briam and Passive House which are basically trying to make the sort of Tesla of buildings if you can imagine that sort of you know the, the future of what that looks like um, and making it more sustainable. So Sam, do you in your world think much about global warming? Is that Does that cross your mind when you're working on projects? Is that an aspect of it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
you know, I think a lot of developers and clients now, that's a big focus. And I think for Grosvenor, because to be to be blunt about it, they have the resources to be thinking about it. Um, you know, they're a bit less commercial than a, a normal house builder. And, you know, they've got some great assets, which mean that they take a really, and, and because of the history of it, they take a really long-term view. So mm. they will buy sites thinking we can develop it in a hundred years, you know, whereas no, very few businesses can take that sort of approach. So they have a big push for um, sustainability, making their buildings carbon neutral, energy efficient, really well insulated. Um, so yeah, th- there's a big there's a big push for that. And then you know, there's also the the factor of um, consumer demand. So in London, a lot of buildings still don't have air conditioning which is probably mental for people in north america to think about but yeah. um you know we we, we we just not built for any sort of heat over here, and it's becoming a lot more common so um retrofitting all of those systems into mm-hmm. old buildings is a big thing for grosvenor um so the building i'm just piecing now uh, completing now is um you know got state-of-the-art air conditioning in it because it's going to need it as an office space um so you know a building that was built in the 1800s has to have all of these things built in and and it it takes a lot of clever design from engineers and the architects to squeeze it all in basically yeah yes i've heard that um where you live the the goal was to keep heat in where Uh, that's just um, not way the way we work over here. And uh, I'm sure that during the heat wave, because uh, London and England and Europe is famous for this heat wave we had this past summer, that people rethink these things that, you know, we don't want to keep heat in, we want it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, such a difference over the years. Yeah. And even, you know, now everyone's, you think 50 years ago people would have been sat at their desk with some paper and now a lot of the offices in London are for traders uh people in finance so they'll have three or four screens each which will generate heat and you know so all, all of that is a big change as well. So are you impacted by things like um the move to people working from home offices Does, is that something that enters your mind do you have to pay attention to all that stuff? Yeah, definitely. It's a big thing in the industry. And I think there it's a big thing for London as well, because, you know, people invest insane amounts of money in property in central London because businesses will pay insane amounts of money to rent there. And mm-hmm. so it all filters through, you know, and there was a big concern, I think, particularly during the pandemic, that um, investors would pull out of schemes in central London um, because it's, you know, particularly in the city and Canary Wharf, it's all driven by desk numbers and and people, that culture of getting your train into work and sitting at your desk and getting your train home. So I think that that was a big thing for everyone. And I think coming out the back of the pandemic, I think people in London particularly, I think we all live in, in small flats because it's so expensive. and And I think because people probably live in London because they want to go to a bar on after work and the theatre and that sort of thing. I think there's been a big shift back to people going in the office at least two or three days a week. So I think mm. that has been a, it's been a change, but it's not undermined 
the value of those buildings. So I think what the market see, seems to be doing is um, moving towards smaller offices where people come in and perhaps, you, you know, th this whole, <laughs> this really quite boring study is that on um, how many desks different businesses need per head, you know, and that, that's yeah. a big thing for driving these buildings. So yeah. um, a project I finished uh, last year, which just more more out of luck than judgment sort of finished just as we were coming out of the pandemic has done really really well because it it has 10 small little offices in it so all of these businesses that just want a touchdown point in yeah. central london you know for people coming in from surrey or wherever for a day two days a week have yeah. a really amazing small office um, and they don't need as many desks. So, uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting point because I think there's a lot of um, research now and a lot of the the, uh, the industry is saying that everyone's office needs to be nicer than their living room. So how do we get people in, you know? Yes. Um, so, yeah, it, it d definitely does have an impact. Yeah, it's, it's interesting um, because before the pandemic, I remember you know, we would have various discussions about people working from home and all the working remotely and all the reasons why that would not work. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's what that discussion yeah. was, it was, was rarely about all the reasons it would work. And yeah. then or how to make it work, <laughs> or how to make it work. And then the pandemic came along and we had to make it work and the world changed. So yeah. It's really interesting that uh, catastrophic things drive change um, much yeah, more quickly. Absolutely, people uh, in London are digging down under their homes. Is that right to create? Because I, there don't appear to be a lot of basements in the architecture there. Yeah, I think it. So particularly in West London, where the property prices are insane, and you have a lot of people that. Uh, a lot of like trophy assets to be honest you have people from not so much anymore but you had a lot of russian you had a lot of middle eastern money uh, chinese as well so people buy listed house you know or historic houses that are sort of your classic townhouse that you'd probably see in notting hill or something like that and then because these people are used to having their house in california and they you know, also want a pool and parking and a gym and there's nowhere to put it. So they do a, basically just prop the whole house up on temporary supports um, and then slowly dig underneath it to build a a basement for these things. So there, there's it's been a bit controversial because there was a point where people were building basements bigger than the house above. Um, so there's been a bit of a shift in the planning regulations around that mm -hmm. in uh, Westminster, which is the main sort of, west london borough but people are still building pretty pretty big basements for massive have, have all their toys in yeah <laughs> <laughs> like with um basketball courts and uh, <laughs> yeah. swimming pools yeah. it's just a yeah. kind it's of a hard <laughs> it's a, yeah. it's hard to imagine what that must look like to go down in into the ground and have more house down there than than you have above that's, that's very interesting yeah. So, so let's go back to career resilience. So tell me what is the best career advice that you have received? Oh, good question. I I, I think um 
you know, not having it all figured out in your first like few years, you know, I think um, yeah. some of the best, happiest people I know have changed roles and careers several times because they, you know, I think it's very difficult for anyone at 18, 20, 21 to know this is what I want to do for the next 40 years. Like no one knows that. So I think yes. just being flexible and um, not, beating yourself up if something doesn't work if it doesn't work for you then you know look at other options and don't be afraid to sort of sort of take a bit of a jump and leap that leap of faith I guess yes yeah I like that and the second thing I wanted to ask you is is there a book that you've read that inspired you or interested you or a podcast you've listened to or even something you've streamed on Netflix or something that sort of you thought well that's kind of interesting so I, so my guilty pleasure is like anything like it's kind of related to what I do, but is is anything like home related? So like Grand Designs. Um, we used to have a series in the UK called Property Ladder, which is a bit of a like it's probably about fifteen years old, but I used to love this show because it was it was all about people flipping houses, and um, you'd have people that have never done it before and who are ambitious and. You know, doing things completely, you know, financed on credit cards and, um, you know, doing stuff themselves and doing it around their jobs. But I think it was, it's always quite an inspiring show because I think, um, you know, people are just sort of pushing themselves because they want a bit more and they want, you know, to to um, make some money out of flipping houses. So I, yeah, I always really enjoyed that show. Um, and I think Grand Designs is the other, is the other one because, um I don't know if you get that in Canada, but it's um, it, it it's pretty cool because it's, it's basically just about people building their own houses, but they're always a bit um, like architecturally special. So yeah. you know they'll be um, yeah, really well designed and a bit um, different to what anyone's done before. So um, yeah, it sounds, it sounds a bit to me like a busman's holiday. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose it is. It's, it's not the only thing I stream, but... <laughs> <laughs> but... But there is something fascinating about watching those shows, and we have a ton of them here as well. And there's something about taking from nothing to something yeah. amazing, and especially where um, you can see the, the possibilities of it. Um, I watched one where somebody built a home out of basically a, a rock cave, and I thought... Isn't that just amazing? Like human ingenuity, <laughs> or or this big move that people are taking shipping containers and making them into very interesting looking living. Yeah, space. yeah. Oh, my friends are my friends' brothers turn one into a restaurant on a beach, which is quite cool. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. And finally, what are you most absolutely proud of about the career that you've built to date? um I think I think I was yeah I was quite ambitious when I was like 21 and I kind of just moved to London started a random job that I had no experience in um worked five days a week and then I did my master's while I was working like in the evenings the weekends and and I think looking back you know you, I was quite young to be doing all of that and I think it was you know it was quite a lot of you know a lot of work at that age so I think I'm I'm proud that I just stuck it out and got through it and you know I think um 
it, yeah, I think it's quite tough in your first few years because mm-hmm. for most people they're paid rubbish money you know you're probably living in a house share that's a bit a bit grim <laughs> um and you know I think it for me doing that and sort of studying as well was, was at times quite tough so yeah. I think um I think having got through that I'm I'm proud of and and you know it it's kind of opened doors for me and to get promoted and yeah um so uh I'm, I'm glad I did it when I did it but um yeah I, w- I wouldn't do it again put it that way <laughs> um, that is amazing discipline especially at those ages where you know there's so much to distract you exactly yeah <laughs> and so to be able to focus like that that's that's something to be amazingly proud of and you know what it has certainly panned out in the career that you've built I mean you've done extremely well for for at a very young age so uh, you you deserve to be very proud of yourself Sam for sure so those are everything I wanted to ask you is there anything you wanted to add I don't I don't think so no we're good good. thank you (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jan. To our viewers and listeners, thanks for listening to our, our uh, eclectic conversation with Sam today uh, from, from across the pond. And uh, it really is interesting to talk with people from around the world and, and see how we're different and how we're the same. So thanks for joining us. Uh, listen wherever you get your podcasts, watch us on YouTube. And until we meet again, thanks so much.